0: Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Eighty West comp Employment Podcast. I'm John Rehm. I'm a lawyer in Nebraska. I practice in the areas of workers' comp and employment law, hence comp employment. Eighty West uh, comes from Interstate eighty westbound, and I am today west of Lincoln, where I live, and uh, out and out here in central Nebraska, uh, meeting with some clients and doing some legal thing, um, defending a couple depositions tomorrow. So that's where it comes from. So anyway, uh, this podcast is going to talk about workers' comp and employment law, and I'm a I represent workers in both of those. So it's going to talk about it from that perspective. And I guess the uh, purpose of the podcast is for people who aren't lawyers who are or don't practice in this these two areas uh, to give you a broader understanding of how these laws maybe impact you at work on impact society as a whole for those of you who are lawyers who do practice in this area that happened upon this podcast or want to listen to this podcast hey if you get a couple of insights or a couple of nuggets out of this that help you in your practice or something to think about I, I, I hope you can get that so anyway for my first episode <clears throat> it's sort of an employment at will red pill and by that I mean I'm going to explore the concept of employment at will and show how its effect shows up in all sorts of different places. And particularly in two fairly prominent legal, judicial, legal and political stor- stories that are that are ongoing and upcoming. Uh, the first one being the whistleblower. Uh, the uh, general, or the CIA analyst who blew the whistle on Donald Trump's alleged quid pro quo with the Ukraine, exchanging military aid for dirt on uh, Hunter Biden, uh, Joe Biden's son, so when he was over in the Ukraine. So we're gonna talk about that, and there's also an upcoming Supreme Court decision that's they're gonna argue that on Tuesday, October 8th about the expansion of Title 7, which is a federal civil rights law to the, to the to gay uh, people that are gays, lesbians as well as those with um, of transgender, so just LGBT inclusion of our civil rights statutes. So at least from a federal perspective. So employment at will, is gonna play a major. I think is gonna play a big factor in those decisions, and it's gonna give everybody a better idea, or give people a better idea of how to interpret what's going on. So, anyway, what is employment at will? The phrase gets used a lot. In employment law, employment at will, and I have a. Actually, I had a guest post on our blog, NebraskaWorkersCompensationWatch.com. We're where a lot on our blog, my blog, or our blog, firm blog, NebraskaWorkersCompensationWatch.com. A lot of the, I blogged about a lot of these topics. And so you can, if you want to read more about them, a lot of that stuff is there. But employment at will is just that the rule that an employer can fire you anywhere at any time without notice for any reason. Now there's exceptions to that that I'll get into later, but that's the rule. That's the default rule of employment. And that United American style employment at will is much different than the employment laws, even in Canada. Uh, American employers have really unprecedented power or unequaled power in the workplace relationship, and that is because of employment at will. So. Where does employment at will come from? Well, it was never passed. It's not in any statutes, it's not in the Constitution. Employment at Will is essentially created by judges in the late 19th century. But where did the judges get it from? And there's a there's a great essay from a, a lawyer in Massachusetts named Ronald B. Standler that goes very detailed into the history of employment law, will, where it came from. and What it did is it came from a gentleman or a, or a legal commentator, we have a law professor named Horace Wood, and he was writing a treatise about the um, law of master and servant, which used to, that's what we used to call employment law, the law of master and servant back in the 19th century. And he basically just made up employment at will back in the 1870s. So what's going on in the 1870s? Well, the 13th Amendment had recently passed, which uh, outlawed which outlawed slavery. So, you know, it came up in that context as well. Uh, also, some of our first civil rights laws that impacted the employment relationship were passed during that time. Uh, contra- uh, uh, Statute 42, United States Code 1981, outlawed racial discrimination and contracting so that that would you know that would impact the employment relationship so the employment of law employment of will is born in that context and it's it's adopted in, in during that time in the 1870s and it's adopted during the 19th century by various state courts and it's interesting how it developed of uh, course if you read the Standler essay uh, I mean, it came through a treatise so back in the 19th century legal research was a lot harder than just you know going on to Google Scholar uh, and finding case laws or you're or going online and looking at statutes you had to go to law libraries you had to buy books and for specialized practice areas like you know master and servant or employment law those treatises were really important and the treatises were very important really right up until the even into the late 20th century before the internet so that treatise you know spread the idea of employment at will if you read that ronald stanford essay and i've um, i cite to that in one of my blogs but it's a really good uh essay if if you hadn't read it and you probably haven't so but that's where employment at law comes from so this is something that's made basically made up In the 19th century and it's also something that is made up you know that came about as civil rights laws started to develop I mean maybe some some later time I'll flesh do some more research and flesh out the relationship between the two so anyway so that's the rule that's employment at will of course there are lots of exceptions to employment at will uh, the you know the fact is a lot of employees aren't employees at will. Uh, these are employees that are covered under a union contract, which is about ten percent of workers in the United States, you know, more more so in, in the government or public sector. It's about five percent or five to six percent in the private sector. So there's union employees. There's also government employees, which will come up later on. Of uh, the government employee the federal civil service you have to have just cause to terminate somebody um, same way you know I of Nebraska there needs to be just cause which not only means that they have to come up with they have to come up with evidence as to why you're not acting in the interest there also has to be some due process oftentimes it also means the employer has the burden to show that so that there was just that there was just that there was just cause for termination so so you have that. Any yeah, other exceptions to employment at will? You got some miscellaneous ones. You'll have, you know, tenure in academia. You'll have uh, executives. You know, here in Nebraska, we've at you know, one time we've got all these highly paid football coaches. We actually had uh, two football, two ex football coaches on the uh, getting paid severance at the same time, Mike Riley and Bo Pelini. So you know they get paid. You know, guys that are highly paid. Executives like football coaches, they're not employees at will. They have contracts. But if you're not a football coach, a union member, or a uh, or a government worker, you know you probably don't have a contract, and you're probably an employee at will. So, so those are the people who aren't employees at will. But even if you are an employee at will, which is most people, uh, there's lots of laws that modify. That relationship, uh, the first one or those are civil rights laws, like the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Title 7 which is the federal anti-discrimination laws. There's state laws that that mirror those, even local laws in Lincoln and Omaha here in Nebraska that that modify that, that say you can't discriminate. There's also laws against uh, retaliation for whistleblowing. OSHA has that. For various industries there's retaliations kind of baked into the um, to a lot of civil rights laws there's also um, the common law retaliation cases as well that are you know created by created by judges so so essentially you have you know, civil rights laws protect you know you on basis of status as well as on what's called activity like who you are and what you do and i'll get into that why that distinction is sometimes a false distinction later on but you have those you essentially have statutes or laws things that are passed by legislators that modify employment at will there's also some as i mentioned before there's also some modifications to employment at will that are created by judges and these mainly these are called public oftentimes these are done on public policy Workers' comp retaliation in Nebraska is essentially was judge created in 2003. So you have a tort claim for that. So again, but again, that also creates an exception to employment at will. Now judges are, and get kind of transitioning, judges are pretty reluctant to create that those exceptions to employment at will. Uh, There was a a flurry of these in Nebraska and a lot of other places in the 1980s, and courts have started to basically, more or less, stopped creating those in a lot most jurisdictions. But so there's exceptions to employment at will, and the courts don't like to do that. They they need to find usually a strong public reason, public policy reason, why, and oftentimes that's something like a criminal penalty in a statute that creates the exception to the employment of will statute or to, to the to the employment of will but but anyway but talking talking more about workers compensation retaliation there is a case that I blogged about I think I published it in September saw the case reported in August and I got it from a blog from Tom Robinson it's actually the Treatise writer for workers' compensation. I subscribe to his blog, and he summarizes a lot of cases. And there is a Pennsylvania case that came down out of federal court, where the where essentially the judge said there's no retaliation here because even though the person got hurt, they were didn't actually formally claim workers' compensation. So, and Robinson points this out and he's not an employment law specialist by any means, but the the point was a very good observation was that employment at will played a pretty strong role in that decision because it it was a narrow interpretation of Pennsylvania's workers' comp retaliation law. So the fact that, you know, you you can't, it's, it's not enough just to get hurt at work. You actually have to actively file a claim. Maybe even actually, maybe it's not even enough to get paid benefits. Maybe you have to, pursue a claim over opposition making it hard to get to create that exception to employment at will so and again that that pennsylvania federal case is reliant on you know it seems rooted in the employment at will doctrine and the importance of that and you know the, the employment at will doctrine that overcomes concerns such as well if you fire people who get hurt on the job before they, you know, and you allow that, then you can fire them before they even claim workers' compensation. There's also concerns about is about whether the distinction between protected activity and protected status are are, are really are really valid distinctions. Judge uh, Art Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg brought that up in her dissent in the uh, Nassar case that uh, heightened uh, the uh, causation standard on retaliation under Title VII. I mean, is there really a difference between a status and in a protected activity? And I think that particularly holds in workers' compensation. I don't think it makes sense to retaliate against injured workers when you can't retaliate against somebody for claiming workers' compensation. But but you guys can square that logical circle if there is a strong belief in the in the value of employment at will, and if you really believe in employment at will strong enough, maybe you can make that distinction. So, but anyway, so how does that apply to the upcoming civil rights case in front, the civil rights case in front of the Supreme Court that's going to be argued next Tuesday? Well, it really. If you boil down to what that case is, that case is, you know, how do you interpret Title 7? Does Title 7 include, does it, does, it, does it include sexual orientation and gender identity as, as protected classes within Title 7? Um, the argument that says, yes, they are included is, is what's called the sex plus theory of discrimination in under sex plus it, you know it's sex discrimination if you discriminate against somebody who doesn't conform with with gender stereotyping i mean the, the landmark case in that is the price waterhouse case where there is a female executive is viewed as too aggressive unlikable excuse the french kind of a ball buster and that that gender stereotyping has been how how some courts have decided that that sex plus covers sexual orientation and gender identity. But of course, sexual orientation and gender identity aren't explicitly mentioned within Title 7, even though they are in some state statutes as well as some municipal uh, human rights laws like for example, in Omaha, we have Nebraska Omaha has a civil rights ordinance that covers gender identity and sexual orientation but but since those law those gender identity and sexual orientation aren't covered within title 7 then they're not covered under title 7 then you know you would have to kind of broadly read title 7 to do that but what's title 7 title 7 is an exception to employment at will and Many judges don't want to broadly read exceptions to employment at will. They don't want to read that in there unless it's in there. So if 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 civil rights, if Title VII is not expanded to include sexual orientation and gender identity, I think that's going to be one of the underlying reasons why not is courts are just not going to be willing, extreme courts not going to be willing to expand an exception to employment at will and i think that's going to be one of the factors if if, it, if if that's what happens if they don't expand it that's what's going to that's why it won't and you know for again from kind of a legal point of view it doesn't make sense you know if if a ban on gay marriage violates or same sex marriage violates equal protection of the constitution equal protection of the laws why wouldn't you know, allowing people, employers to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity, why wouldn't that violate the same equal protection? Yeah, again, I I I I think that's the better argument. But if you believe in employment at will, then employment at will again gives the court an out or gives courts an out in in not expanding title seven in you know and making that distinction not covering gays lesbians and transgenders transgendered individuals under our civil right under our federal civil rights laws so anyway so that's title seven the, the, the argument so what's going on with the whistleblower case federally what's that have to do with employment at will well it's, as I said before, whistleblowers are covered by, there's a lot of statutes. Against, you know. So, how does employment at will play into the White House whistleblower case? We'll talk about that a little bit. And just in case you're under a rock, uh, the whistle there's a wh- whistleblower in the White House, likely a CIA analyst, detailed in the White House. Report alleged they reported quid pro quo between President Trump and the Ukrainian Prime minister essentially uh, an arms for a dirt deal on one of his political opponents uh, Joe Biden. So anyway so how does whistleblowing play into employment at will? well first of all uh, I think it kind of as I've talked about a little bit before in this episode, Whistle, you know, laws against whistle against retaliation against whistleblowers have are, you know, create exceptions to employment at will. So one, you're not employers aren't supposed to be able to retaliate against employees for reporting illegal activity. So that's that's one. But also, as a government employee, it's likely that this CIA analyst. Is not an employee at will. It means that there has to be just cause to fire the person who, who blew the whistle on the president. So, you know, they're not an employee at will. I mean, how much does that matter in this case? Well, one, it, it, obviously it's harder for that person to be fired, but there's a lot. Obviously, in, a, in, a, in an important whistle, high-profile whistleblower case. You know, fears about your job or some of the last things you're worried about. I mean, the president is, you know, President Trump is, you know, threatened to kill the whistleblower. You know, criminal prosecution is certainly a risk. Uh, the Obama administration was really, was really aggressive in prosecuting whistleblowers. So there's a lot of other risks to a high-profile whistleblower. Just besides losing their job, but whistleblowers you know aren't you know a lot of whistleblowing activity you know particularly in the government is a lot less high profile uh you know particularly if it gets against domestic government aid domestic agents you know, agencies not involved with national security, if it's against a state government if against if it's against a local government, and those employees who are not employees at will have more job security when they bring those concerns up so i would argue that the fact that the whistle the whistle you know whistleblowers at least in government agencies aren't employee at will aren't employees at will makes them more likely to bring up you know allegations of corruption illegal activity and misconduct so in my mind whistleblowing chills that or employment at will chills the potential for whistleblowers even with laws prohibiting whistleblowing, you know, because, because the person can still get fired. Great, you know, it's one thing to be able to win your lawsuit a year or two down the line or several years down the line. It's another to to, you know, be able to continue in your job and earn an income to support yourself and your family. So I think um, at least whistleblowers in the government, or government employees and not contractors, have some additional protection. And that's the other thing too. You know, when it comes to you know contractors in the government, those are employees at will. And you know, people say, well, you know, we need to run business or government like a business, and we need to you know get, make sure these bureaucrats don't have all these you know make, make it easier to fire people well if you make it easier to fire people then you know i think it's less likely that you're going to have whistleblowers coming forward and you know bringing up allegations of waste fraud and abuse within the government so to wrap it up employment at will is a uh Essentially, a concept made up in the 19th century, and you know, it's, you know, basically made up by judges, uh, basically um, based on a treatise or um, or a treatise written by a law professor. And employment at will, at least in the United States, gives employee employers really broad, broad powers and over their employees. So we have that and when it comes to how judges interpret look at employment at will they generally look they look at exceptions to employment at will and they try you know those judges tend to you know they're many of them will narrowly interpret that will interpret it narrowly interpret exceptions to employment at will and as a consequence, you can kind of look at some of the high-profile civil rights cases coming up about expanding, you know, our federal civil rights protections on against discrimination on the job to gays, lesbians, and transgendered individuals, and the you know one of the arguments against that, even if they don't state it expressly, is going to be that that you're creating an exception to employment at, employment at will where Congress hasn't included those things within the statute. And I think that's if the uh, Title VII is not expanded to cover uh, sexual orientation and gender identity, that employment at will is going to be one of those forces that 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 leads to that outcome. And then also the absence of employment at will, particularly for government employee, employees, I think makes it more likely that those government employees bring up misconduct. And again, while a whistleblower against the president of the United States in a national security case has a lot of other things to worry about, just besides job security, a lot of your more garden variety, corruption, fraud, and abuse, particularly at a state and local level, uh, those, those whistleblowers are not only protected by there by anti whistleblowing laws but because they are not employees at will so anyway thanks for listening i'm gonna try doing this again in another couple of weeks got a couple topics that i'm gonna work on so thanks for listening tell your friends share it on social media thank you very much and i gotta get logged out on my phone here all right That's it. Talk to you next time. Thanks.